Today's Bible reading comes from 1 Kings 18, verse 1 to 15. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace advisor. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognised him and bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to, tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab, and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Thank you, Nadine. Good morning, everyone. My name's Etienne. I'm part of the leadership here at church. And uh, yeah, I welcome any visitors here too. Great to have you. And also great to have you Solomon Islands folk back. Uh, fantastic to hear that you're, you're all more or less in one shape and uh, back with us. Uh, there is a babysit facility in the back available. So if we do, do have visitors or people here with small children, uh, if you take them through the Little door there to the back, you'll find someone who will uh, look after your children. Um, she's a stunning lady who's going to look after your children today. It's my wife. <laughs> um, we're kind of supposed to kick off a, a, a second part of a series on busyness, crazy busy that we did uh, last year, but we won't. We're going to do something else today and next Sunday and then do some work in Proverbs together with our church in Alveston for a few weeks and then we're going to get into crazy busy. So uh, if you are here today expecting to hear a sermon on busyness, sorry, not today. Uh, we're in 1 Kings chapter 18 instead. It's essentially one event, one sermon that I'm going to preach today and next week in two parts. 
Um, today is sort of the lead-up to what's going to climax next week. Now, I don't know if you have ever had this, but often when you watch a movie that is set in history, when you start watching that movie, you kind of need to be brought into a scene of what, where am I at here? And so, the, you know, they put the writing on the screen that goes up like that, and you never have enough time to read it. <laughs> I really hate it when that happens. It's always like, you know, where's the remote? Let's just pause so we can make sure we know what's going on. Because if you don't have that information at the start, you, you sort of, and you're a bit lost to make sense of what's going to go on in, in, in the story. I want to start for the next five minutes to just give you that scene. I've got to set up the scene and, and cue you into what is the world that we're stepping into and then we're going to start telling the story. We're going to go some way today, finish it off next week. Okay, we read in the first part that there was a famine. The famine was severe in Samaria. Why is there a famine? Well, uh, that's a big reason, but I'll start with this. A prophet, whose name was Elijah, a prophet for those who are new to church or God or Bible, it's usually someone who, who receives an instruction or a message from God and he delivers it to the people. That's what a prophet does. In this case, Elijah is a prophet. He goes to the king of Samaria, he says, there won't be any rain until I say, on behalf of God, that there will be rain. And then Elijah kind of disappears from the scene. There's some side events going on, but he's gone, and then it, there's a drought, there's a famine. It's pretty severe. Why does Elijah say that? Why is there a famine in Samaria? Well, it really has to do with the key character, one of the key characters in the story, it's a man whose name is Ahab. Everyone say Ahab. Ahab. Great, you're awake still. Ahab. Ahab is a king. He's the king of a place called Samaria. Uh, it's sort of, let me use my fancy light, um, there. There's lots of history here about God's people in the Old Testament. Um, they were one nation, they split off to become two nations because they didn't do it well and Samaria is sort of the northern kingdom and that's where Ahab rules from. Ahab is a bad king. He's a nasty piece of work. He builds this massive army of about 10,000 troops and 2,000 chariots. He's a power boy. He wants to make the statement to that entire region that I I am. I'm, I'm powerful, I'm strong, I'm mighty. He's obsessed with wealth, with power, with greed. Some of those dictators that Peter probably prayed for this morning. To become that, he's got to form political alliances. One alliance he forms is with a place called Phoenicia. It's sort of up here. They have a sort of an equally pitiful dictator called Ethbaal and Ahab marries his daughter, whose name is Jezebel. Everyone says Jezebel. Good. Ahab marries Jezebel. 
Jezebel is an even more nasty piece of work than Ahab. Up to this point, all of the northern kingdom, their kings were, they didn't worship God well. But their policy was, you should worship God and whatever other gods are brought into our nation by the alliances that we form. You, this sort of, we call it pluralism or syncretism, it's not much different to our society really today, except Jezebel. Jezebel comes in. She is a worshipper of a god named Baal. Baal is a fertility god. Interestingly, the tension is already set up. Who controls the rain? Who gives food? God or Baal? That's, that's the big question in this whole story. Jezebel is a Baal worshipper. She comes into that northern kingdom of Israel and she says, enough of this God and Baal, it's Baal. If you don't worship Baal, you get murdered. She goes on this bloody rampage where she slaughters, she murders in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of God's people. That's Jezebel, Ahab, Samaria, Famine, Elijah. Everyone read the script? The scene is set? Good, that's it. Now we step into today's event, the story that we go into. We meet one of the key people we're going to focus on today, and his name is Obadiah. Obadiah. first question we have to ask, if you were to watch this movie, is, is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Hands up if you're a Harry Potter fan here. Jess, and who else? Hands up if you watch the Marvel series with, I think it's Thor, that has Loki in it. Yes, a few of those in there. You know, you, often in movies we have this and that's what makes movies sometimes so brilliant, is that you have these characters where you as a viewer or as a reader have to make up your mind, is, is he a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> can I trust him or can I not trust him? Is he, is he going to swing for the good or swing for the bad? Who is he? There's this enigmatic sort of character that often gets introduced in movies and books and stories, you name it. Up to this point in this story, Obadiah, we have reason to suspect. Why? He is in charge of Ahab's palace. You don't get in charge of Ahab's palace as a devout believer in God, which we're assured he is, we'll get to that in a little bit, without some real questionable actions. <laughs> How did he escape the slaughtering of all the, uh, all the believers? How does he rise to such a position of influence and power in such a corrupt place as Ahab's is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? That's the question. Now, of course, I'll, we'll put the suspense. It's almost like the writer of the story anticipates we're going to ask this question. Because they put a lot of stuff in bracket, straight up. Just in case you doubt, Obadiah was a good guy. He wasn't just a believer, he's a devout believer. What he did when all these... He goes incognito, he, he obviously hides his devotion to God from Ahab, he must have, in secret. 
He hides two lots of 50 prophets in caves and he feeds them, he protects them, he looks after them. Okay, now here's the thing. Here's where the first lesson comes in for us today. What Obadiah does is he preserves, he protects the word of God. Two lots of 50 prophets, it's military language. It's symbolically saying to us, he wants an army, an army of the word of God, preserved, protected. He wants the word of God to be uh, spoken, to be witnessed in the land that he lives. And he is taking this risk. He, he hides his prophets. He protects the word, the witness to the power and the presence of God. And for that purpose, I believe God has put him in charge of Ahab's palace. You know what? I believe God has put you, he has put me, he has put our church where he has put us to preserve his word to our world. The purpose of your life, in your family, in your place of work, in your school, among your group of friends, as a Christian that is, is to preserve, to speak, to proclaim the word of God in this world, in the place where he has put you. And you know what makes that so significant and I think almost, not scary, but serious at least, is that you're not in a world that is in many ways all that different from the world of Obadiah. This is an amazing thing that's come to light in the public arena. For those of you who don't know, for those of you who lived under a rock, who have been out of the country for three weeks... Um, you've missed this. <laughs> Israel Folau is a sportsman, is an elite sportsman. He plays for the Wallabies prior to that NRL. Israel Folau posted on his Twitter account these words. I'll read them so it's clear. They're offensive. I'll say that outright. Drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, atheists, idolaters, hell awaits you. Repent, only Jesus saves. Jesus Christ loves you and has given you time to turn away from your sin and come to him. This is a post that occurs on Israel Folau's Twitter account on the 10th of April. The response to that is Israel Folau's contract of $4 million with the Wallabies stands to be torn up, squashed. He will face a hearing on the 4th of May. He has not played for the New South Wales Waratahs because the side dropped him. He will probably not be selected for the Wallabies to play in the World Cup because he's posted scripture. Scripture on his Twitter account. We may question the wisdom of those words that he posted. We may question whether he could have said that better. We may question whether the timing was right. We may question whether 
It could have been softer if there was a better strategy. We make, there's debate and room for discussion of all of those things. But we cannot question that this is a remarkable attempt to stamp out the Word of God from a public arena. For someone to be fired, to have lost their job for something they posted on their Twitter account? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's staggering. It's significant. And I think we ought to realize that wherever you are in this place where God has put you, maybe you're going to find yourself in similar situations to lesser or greater degrees. I'm speculating here, but maybe Israel Folau as a Christian came to the realization that like Obadiah, God has placed him in a position that he wants to use to preserve, to protect, to speak his word to his world. I'd like you and myself to understand that that is a responsibility we carry as Christians. We're here to protect, to proclaim, to share the word. But, you might say, let's carry on. That's cool. Israel Folau and Obadiah were very different. Obadiah did not, like Israel Folau, take the megaphone of Twitter and boom it into his boss's face that he's a Christian. He, he worked in secret. You know, he didn't, didn't go public, Obadiah. He was happily just minding his own business, uh, quietly serving God, preserving the word, not making a fuss. Wouldn't Israel Folau have been much smarter to just keep quiet? Just work with your colleagues, work with your teammates, work with your fans. Wouldn't you have been much better off to proclaim, to spread the word of God? in that way. Wouldn't that have been a much wiser option for him to just go like Obadiah, go, go in the quiet, go, go in the secret, find other ways, better ways. Let's get back to the story and we'll answer that question. The story continues. This is a side point. Ahab said to Obadiah, let's find grass, the horses and the Mules are dying. It just shows us, again, Ahab's corruption. People are dying. Ahab's concern is with the animals that needs to uphold his army, his status, his power, his greed. He's a stuffed-up individual. So they go. Ahab goes one way, Obadiah another, and voila. As Obadiah came along, went along, he meets Elijah, we read. And Elijah tells him, go tell your master, Ahab, Elijah is here. Okay, perhaps it's hard to see at the the surface here, but here's what Elijah's telling Obadiah. Blow your cover. (laughs) Go and tell him who you are. Identify with me. Tell him to come and find me. No more, no more secret religion for you, 
basically is what, is what Elijah says to Obadiah. And Obadiah's response, he freaks out. Don't send me, he says. He launches into this tirade of, uh, don't you see what I've done in secret? He, he justifies, I guess, his enormous action that he's taken, his effort, the risk that he's taken. I have done so much to, to, to proclaim, to speak, to preserve the word of God to our world. Surely that's enough. Surely I don't have to identify publicly. You know what I love about it, Obadiah? He's real. He's like us. I remember so well when I was younger. I was a teenager, actually, so if you're a teenager, tune in. I, um, I used to get into heavy drinking and a bad crowd, and at some stage throughout all that, God, uh, God started working in my life, and I started to love God and wanted to follow God, to pursue God, to be with God and get my life in line with what he wants for me. And at the same time, I had such good friends, such cherished, loved friends in this whole drinking scene. And I remember for months, I'd go to the parties. I'd be drinking. Everyone would be drinking. And I, I would secretly go to the bathroom a lot, secretly when no one's watching, pour out all my beer and my alcohol and stuff so that everyone else thinks that I'm drinking as much as them to be accepted by them but at the same time, I'm not really getting drunk, so I'm not offending God. It's a terrible waste of good alcohol, I should also say. It was a terrible waste. But I was caught. I, you know what I didn't want? I didn't want them to know. <laughs> I was happy to, to be the secret Christian, to love God, to pray, to get into what God's Word says, to what, what, I, what I really want to delve into, but... But I also wanted to have this attachment. I, I was Obadiah, I think. I was starting to find that this is the case. This is where I'm stuck. And you know, the truth is we're all like that. We, we have a fear for that public identifying with Jesus. It's going to lead to rejection, perhaps. It's going to lead to embarrassment, perhaps. It's going to lead to maybe having to answer some questions that I don't know how to answer. There's a lot of fear. And Obadiah is feeling that fear acutely. He, he, he feels it. Well, for him to the point of death, for me it's just losing a few mates who really shouldn't have been my mates in first place anyway. Nevertheless, story moves on. <laughs> Obadiah goes. Obadiah identifies with God openly. And church, here's the truth. <laughs> we may all choose to worship Jesus in the secret. You know, I'll stack chairs at church all day long. I'll, I'll go on any roster that you want me to go on. I'll do anything don't, don't, don't you see how much I do for, for church? And the truth is, at the end of the day, it's not what we're saved for. It's not what we're saved for. We're saved for mission. We're saved to be word bearers, 
to, to bring the gospel to those who don't know it, irrespective of what that might, might mean. Just like Obadiah, who, who goes to Ahab in the end, quivering, quaking, fearful, not even wanting to do it. A disciple of Jesus is called to participate in the mission of Jesus, which is to speak the word of God to our world. I, I love that poster that says, the ship's always safe in the harbour, but it's not what ships are made for. A Christian is always safe in the church, but it's not why Christians are made. It's just not. We're about igniting and power and courage. Ignite. This is why we exist. I'm sending you out, Jesus says, like sheep among wolves. Now, I don't have time today to plumb the depths of what it looks like for each of us to go to Ahab. How do we do mission? What does it look like? How do we need to be equipped to do that mission well? Uh, I believe that's a massive part of our future as a church, is to look at that. What is it? How is it done? How do we grow? How, do, how does God change us? And, and I trust, God willing, we'll get into that sufficiently over the years to come. All I want us to hear today from Obadiah's story, I don't want you to hear it, I just went with this chapter mainly for Elijah, but then Obadiah came in. I think that's the lesson. I think that's what we see. God's heart for us is to be a people willing to face our fears, follow Jesus into places we never thought we would or could. We'll become a courageous people. Courage, Mark Twain says, is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of it. We'll be continually afraid to identify with Jesus in the world. And yet he calls us to it. It's God's heart. Let me finish off. You may hear this and continue to listen to this sort of stuff as we journey on as a church and you may ask yourself, why would I do that? Why would I? What's my motivation for stepping into this kind of a thing? Obadiah would have asked himself this question. Why am I doing this? I've done enough. I think Obadiah needed something to encourage him. I think we need something to encourage us. And here's what I think we get in this event. We get two things. Passage finished with this, a promise from Elijah. I don't have it on the slide. But he says this. As the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Elijah says to Obadiah, you can go to Ahab, you can talk to him. Today is the day it's going to happen. In a sense, what Elijah does is he says, look, I'll go with you. You're not going to go alone. You go with my promise. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you, always. You never step into mission alone. I am with you. 
The promise is so firm, so secure. In fact, if you want to experience Jesus' withness with you, you're going to experience it in mission. That's where it is in evangelism. Okay. Second thing that Obadiah receives, I can't talk about today because it's next week. Next week we go to a place called Mount Carmel. It's one of the most epic chapters in the Bible. If you're a Christian and you know kind of the story, uh, let me appeal to just that today and say, Obadiah was there. He saw what happened there. And I can tell you what, he looked at that and he said, it was worth it. It was worth everything I did. It was worth going to Ahab. It was worth publicly identifying with my faith. It was worth facing my fears. It was worth it, worth it, worth it. In this world, Jesus said, you'll have trouble. Men will hate you because of me. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that you are a God who calls us to mission. We, I, I, I just want to uh, speak on behalf of, of, of our church today and, and say, Father, we, we know as your church over the history, the, the grander church, we've often not, not done mission well. Uh, we tend to get caught up in other stuff. And I just ask, Lord, that you would instill in us as we fear, as we quake, as we just like Obadiah, the heart that is Hearts that are brave, hearts that are courageous, hearts that see your heart for being witnesses of your glory, your greatness, your goodness. Hearts that are willing to nail our colors to the mast. Hearts that are willing to love openly whatever it may bring our way as we speak the gospel and speak your word into the places where you put us. Help us to see those opportunities. Prepare our hearts to be brave, to be bold. And above all, let us be fruitful. Lord, let us see your glory revealed as others see you. Come to love you, turn to you, and receive Jesus by faith. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.